Previously on the Craft Parenting Podcast, a young Greg Hardman watched the last Cincinnati beers roll off the line, ending a long era of Cincinnati brewing. Jim Cook was keeping the former Shangling plant brewing beer, but now it was Boston Lager. Cincinnatians needed a beer, but what they were drinking wasn't local. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Craft Parenting Podcast, a podcast about two Cincinnati craft beer lovers with a parenting problem. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Joe Ludwig and with me is my lovely wife and co-host Caroline. How's it going, Caroline? Well, the kids haven't been too bad lately, except for the fact that Elliot is trying to change around his nap schedule and Lily is trying to no longer nap. It's a little inconvenient. It's totally messing up our jam because we had a mild routine and we kind of had a schedule and now who knows? Lily got in like a five minute power nap the other day and what did we do? We went to we went to a coffee shop, came home for Elliot to nap, went to Price Hill Chili. She did a five minute power nap in the car on the way home from Price Hill Chili, played with her friends across the street for like two hours while you mowed the lawn and Bubba napped some more and then danced around the zoo. I mean, she crashed at like 7.45. Hard. But that five-minute power nap and she was good. Today, hot, cranky mess. Until she got her like 30-minute power nap. I mean, I think she still needs a nap. but I mean, she does still need a nap. But she thinks that she doesn't need a nap. And it's very annoying. Because some days she won't nap at all. You'll lay in bed with her for 30 minutes as she's kicking your back. And so we just sit and watch Scooby-Doo. The other day was really funny. She woke up in the morning and we were in bed with the monitor on. Mm -hmm. And she was singing. What was she singing? She was singing the Scooby-Doo theme song. Just out of the blue without, like I said, we were in bed listening to her. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden we heard, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? And then she laid back down. (laughs) Either just laid in bed and processed life or like actually went back to sleep for five or so minutes. And then came back into bed with, and then came into bed with us. Because we've been off for the last week. So Lily has gotten to wake up and snuggle in bed with both of her parents instead of one or none. Which has been nice. Yeah, we took a, a little spring break. It didn't go as as we planned. But no, but you can you can read the blog for more information on that one. Kids are great. We love them dearly. But this was not the week we had planned. No. But we have another great show planned out this week. It's not we're not gonna talk about spring break, but Woohoo! Co ed's gone wild. We are going to talk about something that we swore we wouldn't come back to. But it's, it, it has part it, four of the trilogy. It has pulled us back. We are going to be continuing our discussion about Cincinnati Beer, which is based on a book 
that you got from the library a year ago almost got arrested because I you mean, you because I might not work at the library anymore, but I still have connections. Your girl will be fine. Okay, so you almost got arrested, but you didn't because you know people. Um, and then you checked it back out. For some reason, they let you do that. I, I don't know. There weren't any holds on it. So they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. But the book is called Cincinnati Beer, and it is by Michael D. Morgan. Mm-hmm. And we have three other episodes based on this book. Parts one, two, and three of the trilogy. Yes. And, and this is part four of the trilogy. This will be part four. Hopefully, this will be a... What movies out there have a fourth part that's actually good? We still have not seen Toy Story 4, so I cannot make a judgment on the Toy Story series. Yeah, we haven't seen The Matrix 4. I have not seen The Matrix 2, so... Uh... (laughs) What about Pirates 4? We have not seen that either. I think I would like watch the third one and then I did not see any of them after that. Yeah, I, I've only seen three pirate movies. The Fast and the Furious movies, there's like 20 of those now. I haven't seen Fast and Furious. Oh my goodness. I don't even know what to compare this to, but it doesn't matter because it's going to be awesome. You have a lot of research on this. Because not only do we have this awesome book, but we lived the history. We did live the history. Of what we're, of this part of the story, at least. Yeah. It's like uh, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher. What is this, some kind of nerd thing? It's like Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher. What is this, some kind (laughs) of nerd thing? (laughs) I'll let you talk this time. It's like Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford living the Star <laughs> Wars. They don't need to watch the Star Wars because they lived the wars. What is this? Some kind of nerd thing? <laughs> you gave me the button. I am obligated to use it. No, no, no. I'm going to take that button away. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> Hey, Joe, I noticed you have an adult beverage in front of you. What you drinking? So I am drinking a farmhouse Belgian-style ale from Westside Brewing. It's 7% ABV and 22 IBUs, which is right from the can. Our special Belgian yeast strain gives this softly golden ale a hazy appearance and leads its aromas of lemon, pepper, clove, and other spices. Brewed with barley, wheat, and oats, light hopping balances out the cracker, crackery malt and leads to a dry finish. You've had this on the podcast before. Pretty, pretty sure. sure I have. Yeah. But mine's better. What are you drinking? So I am also drinking a West Side Brewing beer, and it is also a farmhouse Belgian-style ale. But mine is their Brett Farmhouse Belgian-style ale aged in oak. Mm. It is 8% ABV and 22 IBUs. 
and it's a 16 ounce can instead of a 12 ounce can. So apparently I'm getting wrecked today. (laughs) (laughs) Their description. After fermentation completed, we transferred our farmhouse ale into used oak wine barrels where an unusual brewing microbe was living, Bretomyces. Bretomyces takes the spicy, lemony flavors and aromas of the farmhouse ale and transmutes them into something funkier. Brett Farmhouse is golden with a white head, earthy aromas of hay, flowers, and soft, earthy funk, and a dry as a bone finish. That's pretty tasty. I So I had this as a sample glass when I was buying beer for shift beers and regretted not buying this beer because it sounded very interesting. And then it was very delicious. But you did buy it. But I did buy it the next, later that week when we recorded a podcast with Julia. And I was going to get it when we recorded an episode with Julia, but I was like, that's 8%. I'm drinking out of the mug. It isn't even noon yet. This is a terrible idea. And then they had the blackberry wheat. And I was like, get in my belly. Yeah, that was a face you made. So like a Brett yeast strain is kind of more in sour beers than like more traditionally beers. So it definitely gives it a lot of funk. I am a fan, but I also like the funky beers, and I know that you do not like the funky beers. Yeah, it's definitely an acquired taste for your for your beer, mm-hmm. the, the Brett Farmhouse, which is aged in oak. My beer, the one that I grabbed, it's really good, like really good. Uh, I I, I used... really enjoy Farmhouse beer beers, and Westside does really good ones. Yeah. Um, I'm not usually one to go for a farmhouse, but this is really good. Yeah, ever since Listerman did um, uh, three different versions of a farmhouse ale for International Women's Day back in 2018, I think that's what my shirt says that I got from there. I have been super into farmhouse ales because they had three very delicious farmhouse ales and I drank all of them. It was great. So now it is time for What's Bugging Caroline in Children's TV, where you, Caroline, tell us all about the lack of physics and logic in children's TV. So take it away. Tell us what is bugging you this week. So in this episode of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, it is Donald and the Beanstalk where Donald has traded his pet chicken in for some magic beans with Giant. And Donald then throws the beans on the ground because he realizes that he has made a terrible decision. Why did he trade these beans for his chicken? So then we decide that we're all going to climb up the beanstalk to try to get Boo Boo Chicken back. Boo Boo Chicken is the name of Donald Chicken. But now we cannot give the beans back to the giant because... The beans have turned into a giant bean stock. Therefore, if we're going to take Boo Boo Chicken back, we are now effectively stealing Boo Boo Chicken from his new owner. So we're basically teaching children to go steal their possessions back after they have made a trade that they decided was a terrible idea and not just live with the consequences of their actions. I mean, if you make a barter, you have to live by it. Yeah. So they go through a lot of shenanigans. We fix the bean stock with tape. As it starts to fall apart, which I uh, mostly get, okay, I'm fine with that, I guess. Another problem that I have with this episode is they kind of treat Willie the Giant, like Willie the Giant is portrayed as not very smart and like slow. So he's big, dumb, and stupid. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's portrayed as big, dumb, and stupid. At this point, he's not friends with us. Or we're not friends with him. Because our relationship with him changes as the season, like as the seasons progress. This is like the only episode where we don't get along with him. Like the rest of them, he's our friend. But they still kind of portray him as big, dumb, and stupid. Or big, dumb, and slow. What did you say? Big, dumb, stupid. Yeah. Either way, it's repetitive. So we use a bubble machine to slow Willie down because he gets distracted enough by the bubbles to forget that he's chasing after us. But we manage to get back to the clubhouse where Willie soon joins us because, I mean, he's a giant. Even though he got slowed down, he can still do like one step for every 20 of ours or whatever. And we fortunately have one tool left and it's the mystery mouse tool. And it's a teddy bear, so we can trade the teddy bear for boo-boo chicken. So in the end, we do trade back to get boo-boo chicken. But the whole episode starts with the premise of, we are going to steal this chicken back. Because Donald made a terrible life decision. Because Donald typically is the one that makes terrible life decisions. He's a hothead. A little bit. While you were talking all about Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, I grabbed a new drink. It's kind of the complete opposite of a farmhouse. It is the 50 West Main Street Amber Ale. It is 5.3%. Uh, I don't see any IBUs on this can, but it's just an easy going lager um, to, uh, to go with the farmhouse. Or to uh, supplement the farmhouse. I mean, I feel like that's an, still an easier transition than the dark beer to the Urban Artifact Strawberry Lemonade Seltzer transition that I did mid-episode one show. I think that was the last episode in this series. I think it was too. Where? Yeah, don't. You were drinking Humble Monk. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was drinking Humble Monk, and then I went to a Urban Artifact. Seltzer. Yeah, pucker face. <laughs> Getting back into the history of craft beer in Cincinnati, we're going to talk about the golden age of craft beer. Well, at least what we like to call the golden age of craft beer, which is now-ish. The chapters that we're going to cover in Cincinnati Beer by Michael D. Morgan are Reinventing Flavor and Some Beer Bubbles Aren't Just in Your Head 2.0 because he has an earlier chapter in the book called Some Beer Bubbles Aren't Just in Your Head. I would argue we are not in a beer bubble. We can have way more breweries. It's just a matter of what size you want your brewery to be. You can't have 30 more Rheingeists in Cincinnati, but you can have... 30 more smaller like neighborhood breweries and we would have like zero problem. So how did craft beer get back into Cincinnati? Barrel House Brewing opened in 1995 in a derelict over the Rhine with a populace that didn't know much about brewing and was hesitant to go into the neighborhood. One of the owners, Mike Cromer, wanted to keep the life in OTR to help revitalize the neighborhood since his family had been there for generations. By putting advertisements on people's windshields that looked a lot like parking tickets, and having discounts on food and bands, they brought in a lot of customers. Unfortunately for Barrel House and all of the other small businesses in Over the Rhine, Timothy Thomas was shot by a Cincinnati Police Department officer in early 2001. The riots and unease, even long thereafter, 
prevented Over the Rhine from growing, and shuttered many businesses. The Barrel House actually survived until 2010, but not before an attempt to force them out of their building to appease the school that moved in upstairs. They eventually moved out and went to just packaged beer, but without a taproom, it was only a matter of time until they closed. So Barrel House is credited with both starting to bring craft beer into Cincinnati as far as a small brewery that's making decent beer. And because of the laws at the time, we'll get into that in a second. But like the big thing was that Over the Rhine was like a hot mess. And I mean, even in like 2013 and 2014, probably even as late as like 2016. There, when, there is a stigma. Well, yeah, when I would talk to people that lived closer to Hamilton or or like Middletown about, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Over the Rhine this weekend to go drinking with my friends. They'd be like, you're going to pack a gun with you, right? Like, why are you going to Over the Rhine? that's no why would you do that and like i mean there are places everywhere that you don't want to go to in the middle of the night but at that point over the rhine wasn't bad if you like went a block or two in the wrong direction i mean you'd still be fine but it would just be a little more sketch than the main drag okay so uh barrels yep so they were mostly a restaurant that brewed beer and they opened up in 1995. And you know the um, parking garage we parked at downtown where there's the art school really close to it, the caddy corner? Mm-hmm. Barrel House used to be on the first floor of that. The space is still unused, even though they kicked Barrel House out. Well, they didn't like kick him out, kick him out. They like made it very hard for Barrel House to continue to do business there. So Barrel House left. Oh, the fancy art school. Yep. You, uh, you'd you recognize the sign if you saw it, but that's all you would recognize. So that was 1995 to 2010. Major Chains Rock Bottom opened in 1996 in Fountain Square, and Hofbrauhaus House in 2003, across the river in Newport, kept the craft beers flowing in Cincinnati. But they were brew pubs with a major focus on food, and not necessarily all of the beer was brewed in Cincinnati. So some of the beer at Hofbrauhaus House is brewed at Hofbrauhaus, House, but they also get a lot of their beer in from Germany. So I don't think that they brew their October. I'm trying to remember previous Cincy Brewcast episodes. I don't think that they brew all of their, I don't think that they brew Oktoberfest in Newport. I think they get Oktoberfest in from Germany. But they'll like brew everything else in Cincinnati. Well, I feel like, I don't know this, but I would, they have a, seasonal beer that they do each month mm-hmm. it's been a really long while since i've been there too but from my memory at least they do a seasonal beer each month and it's like the beer of the month yeah um my gut feeling is that that that's what they do brew on location yeah and i'd have to listen to the old episodes with evan rouse on since he brewcast to remember what it is that they do because i know that he talks about that in one of his episodes. And it might have even been like the first episode of Cincy Brewcast. I don't remember. Mount Carmel Brewing Company was started in 2005 by Mike and Kathleen Dewey in their basement. They slowly grew and converted different parts of their house into productions and taproom slash gift shop space. To, and eventually put on a 2,000 square foot addition for a new brew house. In 2012, they were producing 4,500 barrels of beer a year. And it was available all over Ohio and portions of Kentucky. 
The majority of their beer sales were through distribution. Since before 2012, you couldn't have a taproom without a restaurant in Ohio and Kentucky. Which is why Barrel House had food and Hofbrauhaus House and Rock Bottom were brew pubs. Because you needed the pub portion to be able to do the beer and sell, and sell it on site. Soon after Mount Carmel opened, Listerman, Rivertown, and Blank Slate also opened. And they had a focus on distribution beers as well. None of them had plans for food. If they had a taproom, it was very small and was for growler fills only. No on-site consumption by the general public was allowed. When these breweries were designed, the focus was on maximizing brewing space, so little, if any, space was allocated for the general public. So it was very much industrial spaces, lots of brewing equipment. You do not need space to sit down here. Dan Listerman is fondly called the grandfather of craft beer in Cincinnati. He started a homebrew supply business in 1991 after redesigning a beer bottle filler and having it be a success with his local homebrew group. In 1995, the business was large enough that he purchased the Listerman Brewing Company building across the street from Xavier University. It wasn't until 2008 that he started brewing beer for profit when a woman was selling her two-barrel brew system and Dan decided to buy it. In 2010, they started to focus more on beer than making homebrew supplies and were off to the races in the craft brewery game. While Listerman Brewing Company doesn't pump out a lot of volume of beer, they are well known for their beers and the people who have walked through their doors buying homebrew supplies and getting advice from the Listerman staff. So, like the guys that started Mad Tree, talk about buying homebrew supplies and getting advice from the guys at Listerman from their homebrew shop. That, that's also where we get our homebrew supplies. Yep. But the Mad Tree guys, I'm sure, are way more advanced. Like, they actually, uh, they probably well, did their own recipes. Versus the kits. So I don't think that I put it in here. And even if I did, we're not, we're going to talk about it. So Kenny and Brady, who started Mad Tree, purchased a like Oktoberfest kit from Listerman. Something that was for sure a lager. And he was told, you need to ferment this at lower temperatures because it's a lager. And he was like, F that S. I'm going to do what I want. And like they could barely drink the beer because it was so disgusting. So, like, they made a bunch of mistakes, too. We have not done that yet with a kit. We have not also, we also have not created our own recipes. I mean, it's five gallons. That's a lot of beer to make a mistake on. Yeah. So. And, like, Dan talks about how in his first time homebrewing was in 1978 when it was, was illegal. Like, you technically weren't allowed to homebrew yet until, like, 81 or something like that. And the beer that he made was atrocious. And they filled the fire extinguishers at his frat house with it because it foamed up really good, but nobody could drink the stuff. And I'm like, sweet, that is great fire safety right there in total frat house. <laughs> so when he started, when somebody else asked him to start homebrewing again, he was like, mm, you sure about that? In the late 80s. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's way better now. And then they actually started making good beer. And he was like, oh, yeah, let's do this all the time now. So that's how he got into homebrewing. The next brewery, Rivertown Brewing, opened in 2009 close to the interstate in the middle of an industrial park. Since they had no plans to offer food, a taproom wasn't needed, but ease of access to distributing was highly valued. By 2012, their brewery expanded nearly fivefold and opened a taproom thanks to the new laws allowing them to do so. Since their location was less than ideal and they wanted to increase taproom sales, they built a new larger location in Monroe with a restaurant in 2017. So yeah, so Rivertown moved in 2017 and there's like a whole host of things that went on behind the scenes too. They had two founders... Two founders split because they could not decide where they wanted the brewery to go. Hey, it's like that Hootapool and Shangling merger that we talked about a few hours ago. Yeah, episodes ago. Episodes go, hours, whatevs. 
I believe one of the founders went to Wood, not Woodburn, um, Wooden Cask. Is that right? Potentially. So one of them, and I think the one that owns River owns Rivertown now, is more into sour beers, and the other one was more into traditional beers, and the one that uh, was more into sour beers is the one that's running Rivertown now. Well, Rivertown is not being ran by anyone. Yeah, unfortunately. Scott LaFollette started Blank Slate Brewing Company in 2012 and slowly pieced together equipment he had purchased over the previous three years. He found a building in Columbia, Tusculum, and after getting the community council approval, he started assembling his brewing system. The taproom laws were changed when his system was about 90% complete, and there had been no space carved out for a taproom. While Scott began brewing beer in 2012, a taproom wasn't added until 2014, the same time Rheingeist was planning to add a rooftop deck to their space. So, like, Rheingeist was, like, super mega expanding, and Blank Slate was like, Hey, we have a taproom now. Blank Slate beers were well regarded, but unfortunately the timing did not work out, and they closed their doors in 2017, the first casualty in the 2010s for a new brewery. I don't think I've ever had a Blank Slate beer. I swear we went to Blank Slate. Did we? When? I don't Wasn't it part of that? Did we go to Blank Slate that one night? I know we met Bad Tom Smith. Maybe I'm thinking of Bad Tom Smith. I have had Blank Slate beers because they were delicious. Anytime we went out and there was Blank Slate on the menu, I knew to get it. Because I was always told that Blank Slate beers were delicious. They had the Oprah cream. Opera cream, cream stout? Opera, yeah. No, the cream ale. Yeah, yeah, Opera cream ale. That is like the stuff of legends. And it's like every once in a while, you like hear rumor... Or, like, see picture of some bottle shop, like some, like a, not a bottle shop, like a gas station that's, like, super off the road that has, like, an eight ball or a blank slate beer still on the shelf because nobody noticed how true it is. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard anything for a while, but I mean, I feel like that was pretty common in, like, 2019 and 2020. Maybe more 2019. You'd like to see a, oh my goodness, guys, look what I just found on the shelf. Or, hey, look what I found in the back of my beer fridge. (laughs) That was more common. But yeah, Blank Slate beers were very highly regarded. Unfortunately, it was just timing. They didn't have time to change what their plan was, so they just had to keep rolling with it. So Greg Hardman, who we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, purchased the rights to Moorline and Hootapool beers in 2004, seeing potential in these once large beer brands that had become shadows of their former selves. In 2008, he was able to purchase Little Kings as well, completing the set he hadn't been worried about buying. So originally he only wanted more line, but got who to pull with the deal as well. And then Shane Ling was great, because since they had Little Kings, Little Kings had a wider distribution net, so he could tack onto that Shane Ling distribution net and slowly start throwing more line and who to pull beers further and further. So these out. these beers were always in distribution, or did they stop going in distribution? To my knowledge, they were always in distribution, but it was contract brewing. So maybe the brewery that was making it would change, but it and it was for sure not in Cincinnati, especially by the time he purchased it. So they already had like agreements with distributors. Yeah. So like Shaneling was the one that was pumping out the most beer. Huda Pole and Moreline, not so much. And like the Huda Pole Amber Ale that you really like, that was Greg. That's not like a traditional Huda Pole beer. It's a newer Huda Pole beer. Well, I know that 
they switched up the branding. There was a definite switch. Yeah. Like, I remember drinking it, and then they changed the recipe. Mm -hmm. And they made it compliant, I guess is the word. With the Reinheitsgebot. Yeah, because he was really big on trying to be as compliant with the Reinheitsgebot as possible. So I remember drinking it, and it was... I, I guess that was an old recipe mm-hmm. and then they switched up the recipe and it was compliant with the, the German purity law. Yeah. And now I don't think you can buy it. Yeah. I don't think so either. So as we said, while these beers were still actually making beer, it was all contract brewing out of state, but Greg had a plan. Open a production brewery in Cincinnati, specifically over the Rhine. Even though everybody says, don't do stuff in Over the Rhine. Over the Rhine is super sketch. Why would you want to do this? Ah. So in 2009, Greg purchased a building in the middle of the old OTR Brewery District. There was an old potato chip factory, but sometime before that had been Kaufman Brewery Malt House. The first brew beer there in the 21st century was Arnold's 1861 Porter, a beer for Arnold's Bar and Grill in 2013. So he bought the building in 2009, but wasn't actually brewing beer there until 2013. And it was like a small system that they brewed that on. We got to see the huge tanks in 2013 or 14. This is Bachfest Hall. Yes, this is the same building that is Bachfest Hall. So the first beer brewed there was in the tw- there in the 21st century was Arnold's 1861 Porter, a beer for Arnold's Bar and Grill. There's a lot of dates there. There is a lot of dates there. So it, the beer is called Arnold's 1861 Porter. Yes. But it was brewed in 2013. Three days later. It's one of the oldest bars in the United States. Oh, yeah. I knew that. 1861 has to be when they open because it's in their logo. Oh, no. Established 1838, 184 years ago. I don't know the significance of his, what the significance is of 1861 then. Hmm. Oh, a new owner... Simon Arnold operated it as a bar. So (laughs) establishment was first opened in 1838 by Susan Fawcett as, quote, a whorehouse, end quote. (laughs) And then Simon Arnold opened it up as a bar. Good to know. Yeah. Didn't know I'd be saying that quote today. So in addition to opening the production brewery in Over the Rhine, Greg was also opening the Moorline Lager House along the banks of the Ohio River. Located between Great American Ballpark, Paul Brown Stadium, Snail Riverfront Park, and tons of other attractions, big and small, it was a prime location for an elevated brew pub. The Moorline Lager House opened in 2012, and we were fortunate enough to be at the grand opening party as part of the Donaschwaben Schuhplattlers. We danced for our food and beers for Joe. I was not yet 21. I did not partake in any beer. And since, they, and since we have visited the Lager House multiple times. I cannot count the number of times we have been there on my fingers and toes, without like subjecting myself to nuclear radiation. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> so the tap room opened in over the Rhine and the production space slowly expanded after the logger house opened. Unfortunately, the production space and tap room closed in 2020 due to hardships from the pandemic, but the logger house is still open and brewing beer for on-site consumption. And this is like, I know we've like touched on it in previous episodes, but not like, beer-centric episodes necessarily about how Christian Morline had a major shift not terribly long ago. They went through some rebranding. They redid some of their beer recipes, 
but you can still get all of the old beer recipes at the lager house because they're brewed at the lager house. But they don't distribute beers that are brewed at the lager house. You can get a lot of the recipes. I don't know if you can get all of them. The stuff that you get in cans these days is contract brewed. Mm-hmm. I believe it's brewed locally in Cincinnati. That is the, the understanding. Rumor, the rumor, yes. Yeah. I'm not going to say who. But everyone knows who. And I've had their Oktoberfest. I've had, I think I've just had their Oktoberfest, actually. Probably. And their Bach, right? Did we have their Bach? Yeah, we did get their Bach this year. We got good. it at Bachfest. Yeah, it was good. I mean, they still make good beer. It's just uh, kind of a, like you said, a brand switch. Mm-hmm. It's confusing because the names changed and you don't know what you're drinking anymore. Yeah, all the names changed and now it's more like focused on, well, the, the brand is more focused on like the the, the blacksmith terminology because of the super blacksmith history like very long ago yeah i don't it's weird i don't get it you do use spaghetti man (laughs) i don't know yeah i don't get it either that is a reference that no one will get the breweries that opened or started construction well before the taproom laws changed in 2012 had very different stories than the breweries that started after when you are early enough in the process that you can factor in taproom space without needing a kitchen for on-site sales it's a little bit easier than when you have no idea that you need to actually make room for a taproom. This is a funny story. It doesn't have anything to do with Ohio, but it's it's related. We went to Indiana. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Specifically Indianapolis. We went to Sun King. No, that was in Fishers, Indiana. We didn't we did, we just went to like a taproom for Sun King. It was was what? it actual Sun King? I don't maybe it was. I mean, they have two tap rooms, right? It's yeah. Still, Sun King is Sun King. It was Sun King. It was their suburban tap room. Mm-hmm. It's like um, it's like Braxton has more than one tap room, right? You yeah. have HQ, you had Labs, and now you have uh, uh, where Three Points is. I think it's just Braxton, Cincinnati. Is that what it's called? I have no idea. Sure. So, um, and they, they have one in South, I think, in Florence, too. Yeah. I don't know if it's in Florence, don't quote me. But I remember visiting Sun King, the suburban um, location north of Indianapolis with you and your cousins. Yes. And they had a food menu. Yes, they did. Do you recall what was on this food menu? Uh, It was a Hot Pocket, $20, (laughs) six pizza rolls, $10 cup of coffee five dollars because they had to offer non-alcoholic beverages and food in order to operate so the way that indiana breweries would get around that would be they'd like go to sam's club or gfs and buy bulk freezer items or like (laughs) a freezer item so they could like stick it in their freezer and then i assume feed it to their employees at some point just to like rotate out the stock but then they would charge the customers, quote, quote, a ridiculous amount of money if they were to actually buy the thing because they didn't want to have to handle it. I remember but, asking them because I was used to Ohio tap rooms. I'm like, do you guys have food? And he's like, 
Yeah, we have food. Well, I don't don't I, don't don't order the food. <laughs> I want to say potentially, like either they also had the menu to the restaurant three doors down oh, as part did. of their menu. Yeah, or right next to it. Yeah, because they were like, yeah, just call this number and order food. So we called the number. We ordered food. I walked down the down the open mall thing got the food and came back i remember you forgot you memorized your your credit card but then you forgot it that sounds like a thing that i would do after i had had some beers (laughs) (laughs) so then they were very confused because your credit card got declined no that was when i tried to order pizza at braxton or this happened twice (laughs) both are possible I know for sure it happened at Braxton. I don't remember so much that happening in Indiana, but it is possible. Bringing it back to Mad Tree Brewing. So Mad Tree Brewing Company started in 2013, but founders Kenny and Brady had started finding investors in 2011. Through honesty and handing out beers to potential private investors, like they literally told people, you might lose money doing this, but here's some beer. Tell us what you think. They got funding and had a plan of producing about 9,500 barrels of beer a year, with distribution to six-ish states. A year after they opened, they had made 11,000 barrels of beer, and none of it had left the state, like, through them. Like, I'm sure, like, people put it in growlers and stuff and took it across state lines, but, like, legally, none of it left Ohio. They originally had no plan for a taproom, but were early enough in the process when the law changed that it was easy enough to carve out a taproom for inside sales. I mean, and that was, it was like a super small tap room. It was decent. Yeah. But I mean, like the space definitely was not designed to be a tap room. It was meant to be a production space. And they just said, here, here's where our production offices are going to be. Here's where our brewery space is. Let's just take this chunk in the middle and turn it into a tap room. Cause then it'll be near the bathrooms that the office staff use and not in the way of people actually brewing beer. And like when I did my beer tour through my beer tasting class, I want to say like they had planned on brewing like five days a week and they were getting really close to needing to brew 24 seven just to keep up with capacity. When I visited in late 2013, early 2014. And this is, I guess it would have had to been 2013 because I don't, because it was when I was still doing full time college credits. And that would have been like a year ish, not even after they opened. So within three years, they were talking of expanding to meet demand. And even with a larger space, Mad Tree 2.0, they were max capacity the first few weeks after the new facility opened. Like they opened in the winter. There were still crazy long lines. The tap room was packed because people wanted the beer. So thanks to their sound business plan, investors willing to continue to invest in the business to help it meet demand quickly and delicious beers, Mad Tree was able to expand because part of it too was like they turned around to their investors and were like, hey, can you give us more money so we can invest in this larger space? And their investors were like, yeah, this is going to work out for us. And they literally bought an old airplane hangar. Yep. And converted it to brewery space. And their new location has a pizza kitchen attached. And we enjoyed their adult ice cream trucks during the pandemic. We had a few visits from the truck when they were in our area dropping off beer and raw pizza ingredients so we could build our own pizza at home. And by like build our own pizza, I mean spread out the pizza dough on our stoneware, put on the sauce and the cheese and the pepperoni that were provided in the box and bake to our desired doneness. 
So this started our love for building our own pizzas, which we now do entirely way too often. So in addition, Madtree was the first craft brewery in the state to start canning their beers and has a heavy emphasis on giving back to the environment. They sponsor several cleanup events throughout the year and have at least one day a year where their employees go out and plant trees. Like they're like, hey, tap room is closed. Go to a bar to get our beer. We're planting trees today. It's super cool. So Rheingeist Brewing opened it over the Rhine in 2013 after Mad Tree had been brewing for a few months. The old Christian Moorline Brewery's bottling plant had been purchased by a development company in 2008 with the hope that someone would be able to turn it into a brewery again. Bob Bunder and Bryant Golding had been looking for a space and Rheingeist had a home. The space appeared massive at first. Walking up the stairs, you were unsure of what you would be greeted by at the top and you did not expect high ceilings and a very, very open, very empty industrial space. The brew system and bar were dwarfed by the large space, but there was plenty of room for seating and some indoor league games before the space got too crowded. I swear one night or one evening, I guess it technically would have been an afternoon, our friend texted us and was like, hey, I need a girl for our team for this wiffle ball tournament thing. And so we went to Rheingeist one night and I played wiffle ball and had no idea what I was doing, but they needed another girl for the team. (laughs) And so I stepped in that one night. And we hung out at Rheingeist. Now you cannot do that because there are too many people that go to Rheingeist. But like between the tanks and just empty space, they had room to set that up. I also remember early day Rheingeist. It might have been my bachelor party, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went on a Saturday afternoon and I guess it was uh, fermenting day Mm -hmm. because all of the, it smelled really bad. (laughs) I mean, it didn't smell. It's not a smell for everyone. Well, it was very strong. The smell yeah. was strong because I guess all of the tanks were fermenting, and you know the the f- they have the buckets are on the floor and they yeah. have the so all that was overflowing and stuff mm-hmm. as it does. Yeah, so it was like right in the thick of it. Yeah, because since when they had started. The laws said, unless you're going to have food, you can't have a tap room. They weren't necessarily planning on having the tap room right next to the fermenters. It just kind of had to happen that way. So Rheingeist has routinely expanded, adding a rooftop bar in 2014. They added an event room and has become one of the top craft breweries for beer production in the country. So we have two top 50 production craft breweries in Cincinnati and their tap rooms are within walking distance. Because Sam Adams is number one, and Ryan Geist is like oh. in the 50s, is in like the 40s. Okay. I'm like, Ryan Geist and Matry are not. Ryan Geist and Matry are not within walking distance, but Ryan Geist and Sam Adams are. So while most local breweries before Ryan Geist worked with distributors to get their products into bars and restaurants, Ryan Geist went the route of self-distribution. There was less competition if the only beer you were selling was your own, and Ohio laws allowed that to happen. So instead of, like you said, we're... Instead of competing with, hey, I am the salesman for a large distributor. I have four craft beer accounts and here are their four loggers. Pick one to put on a tap handle. It's, hey, here's my logger. You should put it on your tap handle. Not pick me out of these other four, out of these four options. So thanks to getting in at the start of the craft beer wave and being able to expand exponentially when demand required it, they were able to produce 70,000 barrels of beer a year by 2017. And... Holy moly. Yeah. Compared to Mount Carmel, 
who in 2012 was doing great by doing 4,500 barrels of beer a year. The goalpost moved a lot. That's 4,500. 4,500, yes. Two Rheingeises. Well, 70,000 barrels in 2017, or by 2017. I'm sure Mount Carmel is getting somewhere. Yeah. But like, I even remember- Closer to that. Um doing the tour with my beer tasting class at Rheingeist because we we went to Listerman when it was like the old bar and homebrew shop days before they moved the homebrew shop to give themselves more seating. We visited Mad Tree 1.0 and we visited Rheingeist when I want to say they had like six or eight conical fermenters and they were talking about expanding out their pad to add another six or eight. And now when you walk up the doors, they still have their original system on your left. But if you look straight, they now have a huge brewing system and a separate, it's like a separate but attached building, but it kind of hides because there's a, there's pretty much a wall dividing the two spaces, but there's windows that are mostly not there. So you can see, but like they've expanded exponentially. Mad Tree has has expanded exponentially as well. I mean, technically, a lot of these breweries have expanded exponentially. It's just a matter of how many factors they've expanded by. Because people know what they're drinking now. And they want the good stuff. But, like, this is where our history ends. Because this gets into, like, more modern day stuff. And there are way too many breweries that have opened since Rheingeist to talk about all of them. And there are still breweries opening. Oh, yeah. There are still breweries opening. There are lots of breweries that we haven't been to yet. <laughs> Because they've opened after Lily was born. Wow. I mean, we, I did an entire blog about that. And it's part of actually our New Year's resolution. Yep. Our New Year's resolution is to go to 12 new breweries this year. Because we looked up the list. You can go to the gnarlynam.com and he has the list. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a list. It's a master list of all locations. It's not necessarily locations that you can go to. But like you can't, Mad Tree 1.0 is still listed because I think they still have the license to brew beer there and they do still brew some beer there, but the tap room's no longer open. Correct. And I think Rheingeist's second location is on there as well. But you can't go there. Yeah. Like as a customer. But it's it's still a pretty good list. And I think we added it all up and it was like sixty three breweries total. Like where that you can go to. And we went we've been to about half of that. Yeah. Before twenty twenty two. So before we did the the journey for doing twelve new breweries this year. Which we've been to three so far, and it's April. I mean, that's better than hikes that we've gone on this year. We've gone on one hike this year. Yeah, so we need to go somewhere new in April. And we need to go on like four hikes. (laughs) Yeah. I can read the list if you want me to. Go ahead. Can you make it like five times speed so it sounds like I'm a chipmunk? Sure. We'll discuss while you're editing. To see if I like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) So, the Gnarly Gnomes list of breweries slash tap rooms in Cincinnati is 
13 Below, 16 Lots, Alexandria Brewing Company, Bad Tom Smith, Big Ash, Beerkiss, Ludlow, Beerkiss, Covington, Braxton, Cincinnati, Braxton, Covington, Braxton, The Barrel House, Brewdog, Pendleton, Brink, Cartridge, Cellar Dweller, Christian Moorline Lager House, Cincy Brewing Company, The Common Beer Company, Darkness Brewing, Deadlow, Dogberry, Esoteric, Fibonacci, 50 West, Figleaf, Firehouse Grill and Brewery, Fretboard Brewery, Fretboard Brewery and Public House, Grainworks, Great Crescent, Happy Two Brewing, High Grain, Hofbrauhaus House Newport, Humble Monk, Kerkerin, Listerman, Listerman Trail House, Little Miami, Lost Bridge Beverage Company, Mad Tree 1.0, Mad Tree 2.0, Mad Tree, The Alcove, oh that one's new, March 1st, MPH Brewing, Mount Carmel, Municipal Brewworks, Narrow Path, New Ales, Nine Giant, Nine Giant, The Fermentorium, Northern Row, North High, Co-Hatch Working Space, Off Track, Knox Joseph Distillery at the OTR Stillhouse, Paradise Brewing, Platform Locoba by Platform, Rebel Metal, Rheingeist, Rheingeist Innovation Brewery, Rolling Mill, Sam Adams Production, Sam Adams Taproom, Sonder, Sons of Toil, Streetside, Swine City, Taft's Alehouse, Taft's Bruporium, Third Eye, Urban Artifact, Warped Wing Mason, West Side, Wiedemann, Woodburn Brewing, Wooden Cask, Wooden Cask Newport. And while I was reading that list, Joe got another beer. <laughs> I did. It's a very long list. So yeah, we're hoping to go to a lot more of these places. We really enjoy listening to Cincy Brewcast to hear more about some of these places. The Gnarly Gnome goes live with the weekly pint every Monday. We get some inside information there, like who's contract brewing what. I prefer Cincy Brewcast as Cincy Brewcast for yeah. the record. Hashtag keep Cincy and Cincy Brewcast. Yes. <laughs> we need to start that hashtag. Yeah. Elliot, get on that as the ex- executive producer. Yeah, he's doing a terrible job at getting our next podcast together. I need to get on him about that. But you mentioned my new beer, and um, I grabbed a a 16-ounce. Oh, man. By 13 Below. It's called Highlander Red, and it's their red, red ale. It is 4.6 ABV canned on March 22nd. Since our last recording, well, no, since our last, last recording, we haven't really gotten to talk about it yet because our last episode we recorded with Julia from Truth Beer and Podsequences, we had a very Cincinnati craft beer podcast centric weekend. And because Julia does a podcast where she recaps all of the Cincinnati craft beer podcasts, we didn't really want to talk much about the episode in front of her so she could form all of her own opinions based off of listening to the episode, not us telling her about the episode. So we, and by we, I guess I mostly mean me, decided that we would contact the Shift Beers guys and be like, yo, do you want to do an episode about West Side Beers? And you can harass us slash ask us questions about the West Side because y'all keep making fun of the West Side and don't actually know what the West Side is. So we'll bring you some delicious beers that you guys can't get through distribution. And y'all can ask us questions about the West Side and we can just bullshit about stuff. You brought two beers from 13 Below, two beers from West Side, two beers from Fibonacci, two beers from Brink. We brought a lot of beers. We drank a lot of beers. And then after the episode, we drank more beers. And by we, I mean Joe. And we visited Dogberry Brewing on our way home, which we have already been to. So we weren't, 
like crossing it off of our list. We had a really good night. We drank Gatorades. We drank electrolyte drinks to not have hangovers the next morning. I didn't have a sinus infection. Did you have a sinus infection? No, I did not have a headache or a sinus infection. I just felt like crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we had a lot of fun talking to them about the West Side, getting to know them a little bit better. Even though like we listen to their podcast, I'm like, I feel like y'all are already my best friends, but y'all know nothing about me (laughs) other than I drink craft beer and live in the West Side of Cincinnati. I don't know. I feel like we vibed. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I admit I didn't say that much, but... Out of the two of us, I am definitely more talkative and extroverted. So, it is what it is. You had fun. They had fun. We had fun. We made great content. That is the important thing. And nobody almost died. That is another very important thing. Unlike uh, some... Some content creation activities done by other Cincinnati area craft beer podcasts. Not naming any names. Nope, won't name names. You'll just be really confused if you have no idea what the situation is, which is probably like 90 to 95% of our listeners. If you know, you know. How about that? So, Joe, are you going to hop into my heart with a funny dad joke this week with Easter right around the corner? Well, actually, Easter has already hopped on by. By the time this episode releases. That is true. But it is an Easter themed joke. Even though Easter was last Sunday. Yeah. Easter has already hopped past us. But it's You missed it by a hair. Uh, (laughs) You have a dad joke. I do have a dad (laughs) joke. Are you ready for this? Why did the Easter egg hide? I don't know. Why? He was a little chicken. Whoa, that was a good one. That does it for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Craft Parenting Podcast. You can also get a hold of us via email, which is craftparentingpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Make sure to share the show. It's what helps our show grow. If you'd like to send us stuff such as fan mail, craft supplies, or any extra sanity, fingers crossed you've got some you can send us, we have a P.O. Box. And all this information is available on our website which is www.craftparentingpodcast.com. That's where we post the show notes. Plus, we've been writing blog posts about some of the stuff that doesn't make it into the podcast. So, like, more stuff about how our week went totally haywire because we had plans to do X and instead had to do Y. And I am eventually going to write about our experience at Humble Monk. We've been there twice now. I think you've been there three times. Maybe, no, maybe it's only been twice. Yeah, just twice. And also Third Eye Brewing. Mm-hmm. So well, That was lots of fun. So uh, keep a lookout for that. And if you want to follow me personally on Instagram, you can follow me at Craft Parenting Joe. And I am at K 
Caroline Creates Crafts. And with that, I'm Joe. And I'm Caroline. See you next time on the Craft Painting Podcast. Um, you can take away E or F. You can take away F. This is F. What is this? Some kind of nerd thing. And this is H. What is this? Some kind of nerd thing. So you can take away one of them, but mm. not both of them. Oh, so there's two. Yes. <laughs> I think... I mean, in our Mama Needs a Box of Wine subscription level to Patreon, you could see the eye roll that Joe just (laughs) did, but I'm pretty sure you could also feel it just on the audio version. (laughs) Yo, 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 I noticed you is drinking a boozy beverage. What you drinking? What? like good funk so you're drinking this out of the dad glass yes yes i am you gave me the dad glass because you poured this for yourself and then said i would get your sloppy seconds (laughs) (laughs) i said um well I, i saw farmhouse i didn't i was dumb i walked into the beer fridge Saying, I like how you walked into our beer fridge like we have a cooler in our house. Okay, we should get a cooler in our house, like a a walk in cooler. cooler. We need one at this point between all the food the kids eat and all the beer we drink. It is an investment. But I I opened the beer fridge and I was like, I want something different than what I normally drink. And (sighs) I saw farmhouse. And I didn't understand what a brett was. It is a tasty yeast strain. It does very funky beer things to your beer. I guess I didn't see that they aged this in oak. I just kind of glanced over that. So when I took a sip, it was just not what I was expecting. I was more expecting what I did end up drinking, which was the farmhouse. Yeah. But... But Julia, I know you complain that you guys do not have a beer fridge. Just totally skip over the beer fridge and just put a walk-in cooler in your garage. You'll have plenty of space for beer and even more space for food. So it's a win-win all the way around. Walk-in cooler. Do it. West side, best side. West side, best side. West Side Beside. That's the remix version. Knock it off. <laughs> You're going to break it. If Shift Beers hasn't broken theirs yet, we're fine. 
You're like slamming your fist down on it. West side, west side, west side. I told you I haven't used that button enough today.